Praise the Lord. Is there anybody here today that loves Jesus? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is all about our King. We just come to worship Him and praise Him and thank Him. He is the reason that we come. Uh, no other reason. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense to the world what we do and where we live. But Paul was very clear that God used the foolishness of the world to confound the wise. He does that, and He doesn't do things the way we think He should do them. He does them His way. <laughs> I guess He has that right, doesn't He, since He's God. He can do whatever He wants to do, and I'm so grateful for the privilege to be able to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords and to communicate with Him through His Word and, and to communicate to Him and with Him through my spirit and to see God talk to us and do great and wonderful things. What a mighty God we serve. Anybody have a testimony? We'll start off with, you want to, okay, young lady, praise the Lord. Come up here and tell us what Jesus has done for you. Praise the King. God is so awesome. Oh, he is? he is? I can't imagine. I was taking my daughter to school this week, and all of a sudden, this restaurant where I usually get breakfast from just came in my spirit. I was like, Lord, you want to take me to breakfast? So I just went to the restaurant, and I usually give out CDs wherever I go. So I had got some CDs, and um, there was this couple. So I just went in by faith and just got it to them and said, this is for you. And um, then I went back to my seat. And then all of a sudden, the husband just came behind me and wrote me a check. I still don't get it. And he said, this is for you, and I just want you to know how much we appreciate, you know, the CDs that you gave me. And he said, I left the, the check blank. And um, he said, do whatever you want to do with it. And I was like, wow, thank you. So I just wanted to donate the check to the church and just give God all the glory and all the honor. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I don't know who we got it on yet or not. I don't know, I don't know what happened here, but uh, uh, we, we're on. I don't know. Both of them are on, but I don't know why it didn't wasn't coming up. Praise God. Uh, of all the, uh, Dave was trying to tell me something there and he's talking to light and I'm trying to listen to her and I can't hear what he's trying to say. So, oh well, what difference does it make? We're going to get it. You know, so it doesn't make it if we're just here to serve the king, right? That's what we're here to do. Anybody else got another testimony? Praise the Lord. I mean, this woman over here, she thinks God's awesome, you know? I believe he's awesome too. No other testimonies? Praise God. Oh, you got one, honey? Okay. Okay. I hope we're all. God, God is more than awesome. And, he, you know, he looks after the little things. We sang yesterday at a, no, Friday, Friday at a, oh, yeah. at a retirement that. home, assisted living type place. And they had these great chocolate macaroon cookies there. <laughs> <laughs> and I never get to get them because we have to eat really quick. And Thurman came with us. And so and the last song, we always do New York, New York. We make all the staff get up and do the chorus line high kicks as I sing New York, New York. Well, the chef comes right there, and I said, oh, by the way, <laughs> and he was getting into the chorus line. I said, do you have any of those chocolate macaroon cookies left? He said, you know, I just gave them all to a family. I said, oh. And so then when they finished and we finished the thing, he said, well, how many do you need? And I said, well, it would be nice if I had some for the ministry center. I said, there's about a dozen people out there. And 
He went, okay, I'll go. He went back to the kitchen. We finished, and he goes back and bakes chocolate macaroon cookies for the ministry center. Praise God. And sure, sure I'll eat them all the way home. <laughs> that was pretty nice, that guy. Big, beautiful plate of hot, beautiful cookies with coconut fillings in them, you know. Ooh, make some of y'all drool just thinking about it, huh? Ooh, isn't it amazing what the power of, of our thoughts and our confession. Some of you wasn't even hungry until I said that, and now you're, oh, you're drooling already thinking about Hey, praise the Lord, yeah. Amen, praise the Lord. Anybody else? You got a testimony? Come up here. Praise the King. Yep, I believe we're on. It says we're on, so we will see. <clears throat> okay. Well, I just wanted to say I'm thankful to God. And, you know, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. And then sometimes we ask, but we ask amiss. So I'm learning that when I ask, that I'm going to receive, and that, that's been a real challenge for me, but, you know, God has proved Himself over and over, and I'm so thankful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, oh. Which one we got? We got James is over here. Come on, James, and we'll get Melanie next. I didn't know. We got so many now. Praise the Lord. Come on. And, and I guess when he was asking for praise, I mean, sometimes we forget what we should praise the Lord for, right? So we, we praise Him for the most, the awesome things and the little things. So, a couple of things happened this week um, that I have to praise him for, right? Our electricity went out at our house. So I praise the Lord for that because we had firewood. We had a stove. I could get that thing started, and I heated it up, and the house was nice and warm. We kept us warm until they finally got the electricity stabilized. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, we didn't have to go cold. Um, our um, water line, we, we have a quarter-mile line from the highway to our house. It sprung a leak. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I, um, yesterday we went to get the mail. We, we walked down there, and uh, so on the way back, I'm looking. It's like, well, it hasn't snowed in a while. Why is there still wet here on the side of my road? And so the kids, I was like, let's go find out where this is. This does not look right. So we went back there, and, and there's a, uh, well, it's not a natural spring, but there was a spring. <laughs> And it was sweet water <laughs> from the city. <laughs> so, and it was so, downstream of the meter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was close to our house. So um, I, I had the equipment to do it. So Jordan and I went out there and we dug it up. We, you know, we started here and it had migrated a little bit. So we were off a little bit. So we're, we're shoveling mud. And I was like, you know, I'm praising the Lord. I was like, I'm praising the Lord because we have a water pipe to fix. Amen. You know, there's Praise something the without Lord. water out there. So... You know, it took us a few hours to, to not only first find the pipe and then run it back to where the leak actually was, find it, repair it. But we got it all done. So I was like, praise the Lord that we had the equipment, that I had water, that I had to fix, that we have it back again, and everything's fantastic. Hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Glory. This morning, I played uh, for another church in Gainesville, as I usually do, and this morning is the first time in about a year that my daughter has played with me, and I just wanted to give Lord praise for that because she is so gifted and talented, and she hasn't had any interest in playing piano, and it was such a joy to have her seated alongside Amen. me, and we were worshiping God together. Praise the King. the beginning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the King. This is all about Jesus. Y'all got something good to say about what the King's done for you? We'll just let you talk. Um, 
God cares about like all the little things in our lives. And um, I had this squeak in my car. Actually, I've had a squeak every winter. <laughs> Only it kept getting worse and worse, just like, you know, it was, it was horrible. Then the car would warm up and it'd be okay. And finally, I took it someplace and the guy said, you know, the real problem is your tires. There's separation in the tires. You know what I'm thinking? Well, I wonder how long this has been going on because the tire could blow if this separation goes. So God's been protecting me for quite a while. So I thought, well, I've got a warranty on these tires still. Even though they might be two years old, they haven't hit the whatever thousand mile mark. So I took them back to the place and I said, you know, I, the mechanic said there's separation. He hadn't, didn't like take them off the rim and look, but he, you know, said, see that? They're wobbling. You know, that's what's causing the whole thing to shift back and forth. And that's where your problem is. So I took them back and they were saying, well, it's very unusual that there'd be any separation in the tires. We don't think that's it. It's probably just that they're out of balance, you know. So they balanced them, and I drove the car, and the wheel's still going back and forth like this. So I went back, and I said, it's still doing that. And, you know, I was going to, like, get really, like, you know, insist, you know, like, you have to check these tires. And I was starting to get that way, and then I thought, Lord... I just turn this over to you. I just ask that you would do what's right <laughs> for me in this situation. If I have to buy new tires, okay. But, you know, I turn it over to you. And um, then someone else came back and said, you know, the manager or whatever, and she checked them and said, if it's still doing it, like, come back. And I couldn't stay there that day. So the next day I come back, and I say it's still doing the wobbling in the wheel. And so the guy there says, well, I'll take them off. I'll look at them. And if there's a problem, I'll put two new tires on. We won't charge you anything. And apparently only one was separated, but they put two two tires on in the front, balanced them, and everything didn't charge me a cent. And I just praise the Lord because he, you know, he's just so good about all these things that we need help with, you know. Like every area of our life, he really cares. And that fixed your problem. Yeah. Hey. And, I don't, and it didn't cost me a cent to have all this, you know, done. It, it was free and two new tires. Amen. Food, so. Praise the Lord. That's great. That's great. Come up. You, you'll be next after Fred. Praise the Lord, Fred. I know. It's been well. This is just the importance of the tide. And... Being relatively intelligent, I tried to finagle for many years as a Christian how to tithe after tax, maybe tithe to just because I give and stuff like that, and everything except the way God said to do it. And since Thurman, I mean, right from the get-go, that tithe has been, you know, given and then some. And uh, last year, just about a month more than last year, I had to walk away from a six-figure income. And that should put a dent in the lifestyle. That's my personal, that's not business, it's my personal income. Other than a my wife didn't get a new kitchen. There was no change in our lifestyle, and I, I was awed. We relatively recently found that an employee who's no longer with us had embezzled $110,000 out of our business. Beautifully done. Masterfully done. And, you know, I say the serendipity is, you know, we survived. And in less than four months, had caught up with all the bills that we didn't even know weren't being paid. And that's, I just wanted to share that because it really has made a fabulous impact on me. 
the importance of the tithe. God says it, but it's so true. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Lance, what do you got to say here? Okay, God's amazing. That's the first thing I want to say. Okay. God's what? God's amazing. Oh, oh. Where we okay. live at, I usually try to run this mile, and I usually can't do it. And then the other day, I was running, I was praising God, and I told him, you know, don't let me stop until I get to the front door. And so I'm running, and I try to stop, and my legs don't stop. <laughs> and so when I make it to the door, I almost tripped and fell, but God's amazing. Praise the Lord. I've got to tell you a quick story about Lance. He was asked to come to Dallas to church. And as he was asked, he said, you would drive all the way to Dallas to go to church? He said, that's two hours from where we live. We live in Longview. He said, how long is the church service? Oh, and he said, oh, they told him, oh, two or three hours. Two or three hours? You would drive two hours and then listen to three hours and then drive home? He said, you've got to be crazy. And so, he said, I ain't going. And so... That Sunday morning, Eric said, you know, well, Lance, you want to go with us? And well, yeah, I think I'll go with you one time. And he's been hooked ever since. He comes every Sunday now. And now he's even coming up and giving testimonies. I thought, what a young man. Praise God, praise God, praise God. But if the Word of God's interesting, it's not drudgery to come to church. Praise the Lord. And what's so great about God is that even, I know a lot of us have been trying to get the word over to our families. And you know sometimes that that's not always met with a great enthusiasm. <laughs> but this past week, my stepfather had to have quadruple bypass surgery. So at least God brings these things into our lives so that we can get the attention of our families and say, look, if there is a time to pray, this is the time to pray. Amen. And so, at least within those trials, it's an easy way to draw our families together and to get that unity going. And, of course, here Sharon and I were praying, so we took care of this on this end of it. But, you know, these little trials and things that come up, there's no fear in them when you know that God is in control and you know that he's doing something with it. And it's just so wonderful to have a group that you can go to here knowing that you don't have to fly across the country to reinforce things because God is everywhere Amen. and he's in control. Amen. And so we're he's through the surgery, everything's going fine, and I'm just waiting to see how God transforms his life because of this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go to the Word. I want you to get your Bible out, and we're going to start in Numbers chapter 13 today. I'm going to give you a little example of how we are just like the people of old. And I'll show you what they did or didn't do under the old covenant. And then I'll show you how we messed up the same way under the new covenant. You know, so they had a, great, a lot of great and awesome promises. We're going to go to Numbers 13. And we're going to read a whole bunch of verses today. 13, we start out with verse 1325. Numbers 1325. Numbers 13.25. Now, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, this is your word. This is about you. 
This is not about me or the people that's here today. This is all about you. So, Lord, you love us so much. You give us all these rules and all this freedom in your word. You told us who you were, what you liked, what you didn't like. And you give us examples of what we need to do if we want to walk with you and see your great and awesome things happen. And, Father, we thank you and praise you now that this is about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we invite Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we invite you here today to speak out of our mouths, to convict our hearts, to teach us what your Word says, that we may go away from here today a different people, that we might be a different people, that we might walk with you, and we might be examples and lights among the darkness today. Lord, I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to start out uh, with a scouting report. It says, uh, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron and the people of Israel, at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land you sent us to see. And it is indeed, indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is some of its fruit as proof. In fact, the King James says that they had a staff between two people with one cluster of grapes on it. You talk about a land flowing with milk and honey. When's the last time you went to the grocery store and brought one cluster of grapes and took you and your wife to put it on a stick to carry it outside? <laughs> Have you ever seen that? I haven't. I haven't. But this is the land that they were being sent to. Would you say that was a land flowing indeed with milk and honey? You know, so God never sends us in anywhere where is poverty, you know, and sickness and weakness. He just don't do things like that. He sends us to a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's some of the fruit to prove it. But the people living there, here's, here's where they went wrong. They went by what they see and hear and smell and touch to the wrong side. Just like we do today, we as children of God, we go by what we see and not what the Word says about something. And that's where we get in trouble, just like they did. But they saw these people, but the people living there are powerful. You know, they're big, they're tall, and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. In other words, their cities are walled cities. You know, you walk up and what would you think? I mean, here you are. I think about when I went to Japan in the military, in the Air Force, Way back in the early 60s, I went over to be in the war in Vietnam, unfortunately. And I went through, I lived in Japan for a while. And I think about me being six foot one, six foot two. And I think about the Japanese people I saw that was five foot, four foot eight. I look like a giant to those people. I mean, you know, you take your wife, if she's uh, five foot three or five foot two, in America, a woman five foot two is not a tall woman. But you take her to Japan 40 years ago and she was a giant. She looked down on everybody. Whoa! These people are little over here. 
But that's just the way they were. You know, they were a little people. So if you went to a land like these people went, and maybe you were six foot or five foot six, I don't know what they were, but they looked at the people that were seven foot tall, maybe even eight foot tall. What would you think? Ooh, I don't want to mess with this guy. So they go by what they see. But the but the people living there are powerful. Their cities and their towns are fortified, and they're very large. We also saw the descendants of Anak, who was living there, the Amalekites, and they go on down to tell about all the different people that they saw living in different places. And they were talking about how big they were and how powerful they were and how powerfully fortified their cities were. But Caleb tried to encourage the people, as they said before Moses, let us go at once to take the land, he said. Let us go. We can certainly conquer it. I mean, he wasn't obviously wasn't looking at what he saw, was he? You know, here he is, a 40-year-old man. I mean, you know, he's on fire. I mean, if God tells us to go into the land and take it, he says, we can do it. Now, see, that's where, that's the mentality. That's what you and I have to get like under our new covenant. If God tells us we can do something under the new covenant, we've got to believe what is written. And, of course, when we learn what is written and we learn who we are in Christ, we start to fight the fight of faith, believing, and we pray and nothing appears to happen. Well, immediately the enemy says, oh, you old worthless guy or woman, you worthless critter, you, you know God wouldn't do nothing good for an old worthless critter like you. He know, you know He wouldn't heal. If He healed, He would have immediately healed you right then. He would have done a miracle and you'd have been completely well right then. But that's not the way God does things every time. In fact, the first many years of my ministry, when I got into it, I never saw God do a miracle. I saw Him do many healings. I mean, of everything. I mean, I went to homes with people in my Baptist church that would we'd put them on the prayer list. And I'd see Sister So-and-so is on the prayer list, and she's been to the doctor, and she's diagnosed with cancer, and they can't do anything. And so I would go to their home, and I would sit down with them, show them what they needed to do from what God had showed me. And I would spend four, three, four, five hours in those people's homes, and then I would convince them from God's Word that if they would stand on His Word, if they would repent of their sins, and they would believe the King, and that we could pray their prayer of faith for them, and I would say, Jesus will heal you. He promised it in His Word. And to all those that stood, I began to see people start getting well. You know, some of them took a few days. Some of them took a few weeks. Some of them took a few months. But I began to see God move. And, of course, I got to where I went more and more. I became in great demand in the church. You know, people started saying, hey, you're sick, call Thurman. He come over to our house. You know, I don't, I'm not advertising. Jesus is doing it all. You know, come over to our house. You know, and so I would go over and I'd pray over them and they would get healed. But one, in fact, one year, I remember going to a Christmas party or Thanksgiving party or what it was at the end of the year. When I walked in, it, the word was kind of getting around, you know, in our Baptist church. So, all the deacons and our wives, we had a little party that Christmas or whatever. And when I walked in the door, one of the men went up to me and grabbed me and said, Thurman, what kind of good things has God been doing in your life this year? 
I said, man, I've seen six people healed this year. It can't get no better than this. Now, James, that's where my faith was, wasn't it? Six? Give me a break. I've seen six healed in one Saturday afternoon in one healing school now. But see, back in those days, I saw God do six healings. No miracles. I mean, no such thing as a miracle. I'd never seen one of those. I mean, that's just like when we prayed over Ed Brock, 42-year-old man with stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. And God told me to tell him to call the men of the church to pray over him. I mean, you know, I am a dead Christian. I mean, I hate to say that, but I didn't know the Word. And so when God spoke to me and told me to tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him, I thought, God, God, you didn't hear what she said he has. He, she said his wife said he has terminal cancer. There ain't nobody can heal that. Well, see, that's where my faith was. Can't you imagine God looking down at his little son and saying, Son, you ever get a hold of who I am? See, Now, that's the problem, isn't it? We've got to get a hold of who he is. Well, we anointed Ed Brock with oil after the whole deal and prayed over him, and it took six months for Ed to get well. Why did it take so long? He did get well. And the guy's still alive and well today, 20 years later. He's still alive and well. But why did it take God six months to heal him? I'll tell you why. Because in that Baptist church that I was a deacon of, if we had a seen God instantly heal Ed Brock that night, that was our first miracle or first healing we had ever seen. We didn't know God did these kind of things. And I can assure you, God knew what He was doing because if he had instantly reached down and zapped Ed with a lightning bolt and said, Bam, you're healed. And he'd have jumped up and said, Whoa, I feel like a brand new man. There'd have been 28 deacons fell out with heart attacks. <laughs> you know. And then God had 28 more sick people to deal with. That's where we all were. We had never seen a miracle in our life. You know, isn't that sad? But that's where we live. Why had I never seen a miracle? Because I didn't know. These are awesome promises. I didn't know how to stand on these things. I was just like these Israelite people. I looked at my circumstances. When I look and I say, there's a man with... They just opened him up with surgery and they say he has stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. There ain't nobody can heal him. Nobody. But I was wrong. God can do anything. And that's just like these people. God had... had all of you know the stories where we are up here to numbers right now. God had brought them out of the land of Egypt. He had shown them all the different plagues. He had turned the water into blood, the whole Nile River. And I've had the privilege to ride in a little boat with a paddle, riding down that Nile River right there in Cairo. As I go down that river, I had me a little canoe-like boat one day, and I'm out there riding along paddling, and I thought, you know, God, I think about the history. Lord, one day this river, you turned this river to blood. The one I'm sitting in right here in this little boat. I said, God, this is awesome, isn't it? You know, you go back and think about that, and then you look out there, and there's millions of people that live all around it. And all of them nearly were lost. I was over there three months building a building, and I never found not one church that was really active in that entire city of 30 million people. Isn't that awesome? A place that big, nobody knows Jesus. Something wrong. Something wrong. 
And just think, only a few generations ago, there was great and awesome power of God moved through that place. And great and awesome miracle. And this group of people saw all these things happen. They saw it. And then they come to the Red Sea, and they saw the Red Sea divide, and the grounds get dry, and all those millions of people walked across on dry ground. They saw all this stuff. Now God's brought them to this land of milk and honey. And He says, go in and take it. You know, pursue it. It's a beautiful land. I'm giving it to you. Now go in and take it. And they went in and looked 40 days. And they said, it really is a beautiful, awesome land. Wow. Truly flowing with milk and honey. But the giants that are there, let me tell you, as a Christian, nothing has changed. Today, God has empowered us with tremendous things beyond our wildest dreams in this book. We don't believe it. We read it and it's too far out for us to believe. And the reason it's too far out, Paul clearly told us, just like he did to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, I should be talking to you as mature Christians, but I can't because you're still carnal. You cannot understand the spiritual things of God. They're foolishness to you. He said, but you need to grow up. We need, we as Christians need to become mature in the Word of God. So when we read it, the Word will speak to us. We will walk holy before God. And when we do, His Spirit speaks to us and He reveals these great and awesome things to us. And then it makes no difference what kind of giants that come before us. It makes no difference. You can overcome them. Just like all these testimonies we had. Sometimes testimonies are fantastic. But always testimonies are not what we expect. You know that? I'll tell you a simple little thing happened to me. This morning I stayed up till 4 o'clock. I stayed up because there, I need an artificial horizon, which I know most of you have no clue what that is. But I needed an artificial horizon for my Cessna 150. And they cost a lot of money. I saw a beautiful TSO one on the Internet, and it was, the bid on it the other day was $119. So I bid up to 160 but in a few days somebody had outbid me to 239 So I didn't bid on it no more. Somebody said, well, you know you can bid and you can put a maximum of 300 or whatever. I said, yeah, but what if that guy comes back right now and he keeps bidding, they're going to tell him until he gets to the point where he's past me. I said, I ain't bidding on it no more. I ain't bidding on it until... Five minutes before it closes. And that way, you know, I'll get it. So I stayed up to four o'clock this morning studying the Word. We, I even had everybody in the minister center agree with me in prayer that that thing would be mad. You know? So at 3.15 this morning, I got about 20 or so, 25 minutes till it closes. I said, no problem. I'm going. I'm studying the Word. I'm about God's business. I said, okay, Lord, I've closed out all my Bible software. And I, I, I set my alarm. Set it on my desk, you know, 20 minutes in the back. Dean goes off, you know. So, I mean, I ain't going to miss this. I'm diligent. And I closed my Bible software, and there's a deal behind the screen that says your computer is automatically updating and running a scan, and it will automatically restart in four hours and 31 minutes. Okay, now i got to figure out how to close all this junk. So when I finally get all that stuff, the clock is ticking down. Ticking down. 
and I finally get it all closed, and then it says, now your computer's going to automatically restart. I I thought, oh, no. And it does. It shuts down and restarts. I said, okay, God, I am not going to grumble and complain, because if this is your will, I'm going to have this. If this is not your will, I ain't going to have it. I know you got a better one, cheaper price down the road for me somewhere. So I don't go to grumbling and complaining at all. Finally get my computer booted back up, and I look at my watch, and I got about two minutes. I said, no problem, God. I got it under control. I go in and open eBay, and it says, you need... I hit the bid button, and it says, you got to sign in. I thought I was signed in, but I forgot my computer shut off and restarted, so I'm not signed in. And by the time I could find my password and get on, and when I finally got on and said bid, it said, I'm sorry, it's closed. You missed it. I sat up to 4 o'clock this morning for that. <clears throat> now, that's a great testimony because obviously God has something better for me, and He didn't want me to have that one. Now then, so I didn't grumble. I said, Lord, I sat up to 4 o'clock. Now I'm going to bed. I said, I've studied Your Word in the meantime. And you've given me some great revelation from your word. But I said, now I'm going to bed and I'm going to sleep and I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to be ready to go teach your word today in the name of Jesus. And so, you know, sometimes when you don't get what you want, just like you said a while ago, we have not because we ask not or we have not because we ask amiss. Obviously, the artificial horizon that I wanted, which I still thought was a great deal, I mean, because it's been TSO'd, it's ready to go on an airplane, and the price was a fraction of what I can buy one for. In fact, it was about a third of what I could just have mine rebuilt for. So I thought it was a great deal. But anyway, I know God's got something better. Who knows what He's got out there? But I know He's got something better. So when things don't go just like you think, keep standing on the Word. Keep praising the King. Lord, I thank You. I thank You and praise You and worship You for the beautiful one you have for me for this little airplane. I know it's going to be great when I do get it. And it might be like the other day, a man, I was having trouble with the radios in that little airplane. When I bought it, it said the top radio is in-op. Well, these radios in these airplanes, you know, they're not cheap. You know, they're very expensive. So I tried using it. And it worked a little, but not very good. And so when Dave and I'd go flying, he'd mess with it. Sometimes we'd get it to work a little. So finally one day I thought, okay. I'm just going to go down here and to the man that's the garment dealer down on the end of the airport and ask him if he'd check it. So we went down there, we checked it, and he said, took the radios out. He said, your radios are great. He said, it's got to be your antennas. I said, okay. So I said, what did it cost me to put new antennas, new wires, and everything? He said, about $500. I said, good. I said, piece of cake, fix them. I want them to work perfect. When I go flying, I want to be able to communicate. So I took it down there when we went out of town on a, on a trip for the Lord. I took it down and left it a few days. When I got back, he didn't have it ready. So I said, no problem. I said, just Monday, Tuesday, whenever, no problem. I'm not in a hurry. Just take your time. Finally, I come back and he said, he got it ready. And he had to put brand new antennas, brand new cables, everything. He said, but it works great. I said, good. How much do I owe you? Now, this is the first time I've ever been in this place of business. But every time I go down, I talk to him about Jesus. Every time I go, I talk about Jesus. He said, oh, Thurman, I'll catch you next time. I said, I said what? You're, I said, what do you mean by you? He said, come on, let me come outside with you. Let me tell you something. I said, okay. So I walk outside and he said, the Lord told me to give you this job. I said, do you mean those new antennas, the wire and all that labor and everything? 
You're going to give me that? He said, yeah. He said, when you come down here, you talk about Jesus. He said, you're very unique. Hardly nobody talks to me about Jesus. But he said, that's all you do. When you come in, you talk a little about the airplane, and then you talk about our Lord. He said, you talk about Him like I ain't never heard nobody. So this morning, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with Thurman on these antennas? He said, Lord, clearly said, give him the job. So he said, you don't know me nothing. Is that awesome? Is God wonderful? Is, I mean, He's awesome. Uh, just like they said, He cares about the little things and the big things. You know, with God, everything possible. All you've got to do is stay in faith and serve the King. But now, these people here, they didn't do this. They didn't stay in faith. Listen to what they did. But Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses, let's go out at once and take the land. He said, we can do it. You know, I mean, here's one man out of this whole bunch that believes he can do what God said. Now, see, there's another little message right here. Joshua and Caleb were the two men out of the whole bunch that believed they could do it. Do you know today in the body of Christ, the numbers are still about the same? we got the body of Christ that don't believe we can do what the King told us we could do under the New Covenant. we got a few. One here, one there, one there that begins to get a hold of it and say, Hey, God says I don't have to be sick no more. God says if I fight this battle, if I repent of my sins, He promises to forgive all of my sins. And He promises to heal all of my diseases. So if God made me that promise, baby, it's done. I'm standing on the Word. I'm repenting for my sins. I'm going to pray with somebody in faith, and I'm going to believe God. And a week later, somebody says, well, like Miss Emily Dawson when she was here. Beautiful woman, 75 years old or whatever now. She was in her 50s when this happened. She had terminal cancer, and she was in the Baptist church, Southern Baptist church. She got a hold of these principles. She's standing on them. And her Baptist ladies would come see her. Miss Emily, how do you feel? Oh, she said, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And they said, but you don't look very good. I mean, you can't walk. You look awful. She said, I don't care about, I don't care what I look like. I'm standing on the Word. And she said they would go off and leave and they'd say, poor Miss Emily, her mind's going. Listen to her. She thinks she's well. And look how bad she looks. Well, see, she stood on the Word. And it took her a year of standing on the Word. But that woman came out of that cancer standing on God's Word, totally healed. That was 20 years ago. And today she's a ball of fire, still preaching and teaching the Word of God. I mean, just think. She was on her deathbed. She had had 13 surgeries and all kinds of stuff by the time she was 53 or 54 years old as a Baptist woman that loved God. But she didn't know how to stand on the promises. And then when she comes out with terminal cancer, she does the same thing that most of us do. You've got terminal cancer. You've got a few months to live. But we can do surgery and you might live six more months. No, that's okay. If I'm only going to live six months, I'll just go home and lay down and wait for Jesus to come get me. Just go home and die. That's what so too many Christians do. Then she gets a hold of the fact that the Lord already conquered the forces of darkness. He's already taken care of your sickness and disease. He's already bore your sickness and removed your disease. Because it's clearly written in Matthew 8, 17. Under the New Covenant, He tells us, I've already done that for you. In fact, while we're right here in this, let's flip to Matthew chapter 8. Let's just go and let's see what Matthew 8, 17 says. Let's just step over here a few pages to the right. In Matthew 8, 17... 
in verse 16, when you get to Matthew 8, 16 and 17, let's, let's look at what the Lord has said here. I want you to think about this, what He's done for us now. Look what He says. That when Jesus arrived, or excuse me, that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. Now, what was wrong with these people? What was wrong with them? They had demons. They had demons. You know, you and I don't think we could possibly have a demon. You know, every every good demon is down in Stanley's country down in Africa. You know, demons couldn't possibly be in America. Give me a break. Demons are everywhere. You know, they're here. They're in Africa. They're in Europe. They're everywhere. There's millions of these guys. But it says that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And some of you brought some of those guys with you when you come to church today. You know, some of you got some. You know, I've had some. Uh, It's amazing, you know, when you think that when a doctor of theology tells you it's impossible for you to have a demon, that makes you feel real good. But when Jesus tells you you've got one and tells you what it is, whoa! And then He tells you you have power and authority over it, you can cast it out. And when you do that... And one of them little beasts that you've carried for 30 plus years, when you take his word and cast it out and you get totally healed. That's what happened to me 20 years ago. And that beast left and I ain't had that sickness in my body since. I'm telling you, that changed my life forever. I now know a Christian. I was a Sunday school teacher, a Southern Baptist deacon. I was serving God, doing everything I knew to do. But yet I had a demon that lived in my body for 30 years. And that beast had attacked me. He had eaten on my body, done all kinds of devastating things to me, and I was trying my best to use what kind of medicines I could to control the problem I had. And it would control it to a degree, but it couldn't get rid of it. But when I cast that demon out of me, I got healed. And I ain't had that problem not one time since in over 20 years. So let me tell you, these same demons are with us today. And many of us have them. This is that evening, many demons of people, possessed people were brought to Jesus, and all the spirits fled when He commanded them to leave. The spirits left when He commanded them to leave. How do you get rid of one? By faith, you command the beast to leave. You know, after you repent of your sins, because as long as you're sinning and you remain in that sin and don't confess it, that devil's there because God sent him there and you can't get him out. You can't get well until you repent and then by faith drive these devils out. And he healed all the sick. How many of the sick? Do we need an English lesson on A-L-L? I guess that includes everybody but you, huh? I mean, that's, that's obviously the way we think. You know, we go back to the story we're reading in Numbers God told them to go in and possess the land. He'd give it to them. But they didn't believe Him. They didn't believe Him. Well, we hadn't changed much. We hadn't changed much at all. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Isaiah the prophet who said, He took our sickness and removed our disease. Is that an awesome statement? If He took our sickness and removed our disease, then why in the world is so many people in the church sick today? We don't believe this. We don't know this. When a devil comes upon us, I don't care what he comes upon you for. 
I don't care what kind of door you open. I don't care what kind of sin. I don't care if you got into unforgiveness. I don't care if you were grumbling, complaining. I don't care what you were doing when you opened the door to that devil and he come in. All you've got to know as a child of God is all you've got to do is repent of your sins, take the Word of God, and then demand that that demon leave, and he's got to leave. Now, sometimes you're going to be, not sometimes, every time you're going to be wrestling with an invisible being that you can't see. Now, sometimes you may get a little one that's not too powerful. You know, and you grab him and throw a leg lock on him and in the Word of God by faith, and you tell him he's got to leave, and he said, whoa, this guy or this woman, she knows the Word. I guess I better leave. But the next one may be a great, big, powerful ruler of darkness. And you throw a leg lock on him, but the Word of God by faith say, you're out of here. And he just tightens right up with you. He's wrestling with you. So whenever you start to put the hurt on him, he just comes back and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you this faith junk don't work. I'm going to show you I'm bigger than Jesus. And some of them think they are. So it's not easy. And what happens? We are a bunch of wimps. You know, we pray and ask God, Lord, I'm sick. Don't you know I'm sick? He said, yeah, you sin. But if you'll just repent of that sin and drive that devil out, you'll get well. And so you repent of your sins and you say, well, Lord, I'm going to try to cast this devil out. I'm going to try. And the Lord says, you make me sick. Isn't that amazing? Did God tell you to try anything? He said, do it by faith. So if He said right here in Matthew eight seventeen that He bore your sickness and removed your disease, do you think the King planned for His children, His church, to be sick? No, He does not. But does He plan for us to sin after He bore our sin also? No. So why do we go out and sin all the time? It's just the flesh. It's this beast that we live in. I know none of you have a problem with this beast except me. But I have plenty of problem with this one. But I got a pro- I got an idea that ain't not one of you sitting out there don't have a little bit of a problem with this thing you live in. Sometimes it wants to do things this way, don't it? It don't want to do what God says. It wants to do what it wants to do. I mean, when it comes to, just like Cheryl told that story there a while ago about she sure would have liked to have some of those cookies. And she did want some. And when she brought them, I wasn't even hungry. I'd had a whole plate full of food at that place, and I wasn't even hungry. And since they brought that and put that in my hand, I started unwrapping that thing, slipping my hand under. I've learned too much from you, Ty. <laughs> If it's anything Ty likes, he likes to eat good stuff, right, Ty? Yeah. Oh, goodness. So, you know what you have to do? I mean, I'm not hungry. I definitely didn't need them things. But before the night's over, I'll probably eat three or four of them things. You know, every time you go to slide your hand underneath that little plastic cover, you get getting good, warm cookies with that coconut. Oh, on the inside, they just make your mouth drool. They were so good. I mean, you've got to reach up and you've got to do what Paul says. You've got to beat your body. Paul said, I beat my body to bring my body into subjection to me, to the Word. Because my body wants to sin. And yours does too. That's just one area 
that it's so easy for us to sin, and that's an overindulging in food. I mean, we can do that so easy, but there's all kinds of sins out there that we're put to the test with every day. And we don't believe what this Word says. Just think, if Jesus told us under the New Covenant, I bore your sickness. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Isn't that awesome? Here is, this is just one of the many awesome statements under the new covenant we got as these children today. These people back over here, they were slaves. They were servants. We're children. You do things for your children you don't do for your servants. You know that? This is the greatest privilege that you and me have today as children of God. He, he bore our sin. He bore our sickness. We don't have to go to the temple once a year and take a lamb and kill it and, and apply its blood to the altar to be forgiven of sin. You don't have to do that. He made it simple for you. He paid the price with His own blood, so all you got to do is say, Lord, forgive me. And it's done. That quick and that easy. Did He make it easy? He made it so easy. And then when you repent of your sin... When you'd open the door to a devil to come in to make you sick and afflict you, once you've repented of sin, you say, okay, now devil, you're out in the name of Jesus. And what if he doesn't leave right then? You keep standing. You don't, you, I'm, these people were going to go in and possess the land. Okay, so let's just say back over here in Numbers, let's go back over here to the book of Numbers. We're talking about these giants there, and we felt like grasshoppers. You ever feel like a grasshopper in the presence of some of your problems? I'm sure you have. But these people, the land, it will, it, it's absolutely magnificent. But all the people there were huge. They were giants. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them. And that's what we look like to them, grasshoppers. Well, see, we see ourselves as grasshoppers. We don't see ourselves as sons of God. As daughters of God, you know, when you walk today, you don't, in the spirit world, the devil's not afraid of you. You know, he's not afraid of you at all. I mean, he'll reach out to you if you do something. He can just reach out and just swat you down and kill you in a heartbeat. He'll laugh at you. But when you got the spirit of the living God living in you, when you got Jesus living in there, when you walk your big brother, is with you. He's in you. So when that devil looks up and sees you, he says, whoa. Ah, that little puny guy there, I ain't afraid of him. But he said, wow, that spirit that's in him. Whew, look at that. The devil says, let me get a long ways from him. Because when he sees the Holy Ghost in you and your big brother Jesus in you, he's afraid of them, isn't he? Amen. Amen. So you don't have to be afraid of the devil. You got Jesus in you. You got the Holy Ghost in you. You don't have to be afraid of nobody or nothing when you realize you've got all these things. But most of us, I mean, I tell you, I bet you there's not a handful of you girls. If I were to sit in a movie with you, like some of these awesome movies that's out there today, some of these wicked ones, I bet if I were to sit in a movie with you and hold your hand, 
during an hour and a half movie, whenever everything's going good and they're leading up to something and you go around the corner and there jumps out a demon just like that. A wicked, ghastly thing. You know what nearly every one of you would do? <laughs> Squeeze my hand off. You stepped into fear. You were not in perfect love. If you were in perfect love, nothing, nothing scares you. You know that? Perfect love casts away all fear. So, if we were here right now, and the devil himself walked in that door, more than likely this place would clean out. There might be two or three or four of us that would still be here. But the majority of you, if the devil were to appear behind me on this platform, I could guarantee I could see in your faces the fear. This ghastly beast appeared. I mean, what did our brother Jesus do to him a couple thousand years ago? Defeated him. He triumphed over him in the cross. Totally stripped him of all of his power and armament. And then he turned to you and me and he gave you and me all power over that beast. So if the devil appears up there, why should we just, we should just stand up and say, Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The devil just showed up up here today. Devil, we want you to know we got power and authority over you. We begin to worship and praise God. I'm going to tell you, in two seconds, he would be gone and gone and gone. And he would not be back in this place. But see, you've got to start thinking like God. You've got to see yourself. You can't see yourself as this grasshopper. And that's what we see ourselves. Then chapter 14 says, Then all the people begin weeping aloud. This is just like us in the church today. How many of them are crying? Well, a whole bunch. Uh, who had told them to go in and possess the land? God! I'll go with you! Did they believe it? No, no. Just like us today. Then all the people began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Instead of jumping up and down and praising God and say, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you. We're going to go in there tomorrow. We're going to conquer that place because you're going with us. Yeah, that's the way we should have been talking, wasn't it? Sure, but they didn't do it. Their voices rose in a great chorus of complaint against Moses and Aaron. Now, that's something God don't like, isn't it? Complaining. Listen to what their words say. We wish we had died in Egypt. I know none of y'all ever made stupid statements like that. I think about this lady that came to us here a while back and she said, Thurman, I just come from the doctor's office Friday. Today's Saturday at healing school. We're having a healing school. And she said, the doctor said, I have one of three things, and she named them with all the tests, and of which the least of the three would be lupus. So I'm praying and asking God to give me lupus. Is that stupid? Sure. But see, this is a Christian woman that goes to church. She don't know God's paid the price for her sickness and her disease. She don't know He's already removed it. She don't know all she's got to do is get rid of sin, and she gets healed. But at the end of four hours of teaching, her whole world changed. When she came up here and she said, I want to be healed. I don't want lupus. And I reached up and I said, have you repented of every sin? Absolutely every sin, known and unknown. I've repented of them all. So I reached up and took one of these great and awesome promises that God gave us in His covenant. In Mark chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. 
Now, we're, it's a shame that we're all, nearly all, unbelieving believers in the church. I think it's time we become believing believers, don't you? Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, and 18, and the king himself was speaking here. This wasn't one of his boys. This was Jesus talking. These signs shall follow them that believe. Not maybe. They will. You shall lay hands on the sick. You shall cast out demons in my name. And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well. Now, isn't that an awesome statement from God? I don't know why we don't believe that. But I reached up on the little lady. I touched her. And she had confessed her sins. I reached up and just laid my hand on her. I said, now rebuke those spirits, those spirits of infirmity. Command them to leave. And I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And I turned her loose. I said, next. She says, is that all? She said, am I going to fall down? I said, well, do you feel like falling down? She said, no. I said, well, ma'am, if God wants to bless you on the floor, it's totally up to Him. But I said, I just do what I do. I do the natural and He does the supernatural. I just do what Jesus told me to do. I said, that's all He told me to do. He takes care of the rest. The battle's in the spirit world. And so she looked at me kind of dumbfounded and turned. And one of the problems she had had for 15 years had not been able to feel anything with her arm from her elbows down. 15 years, both arms had been numb. But she remembered a sin she committed just before this happened. This is what opened the door. So she repented of all those sins. This little lady walks back and reaches down and gets her purse and touches it. When she does, she shri- Oh, my goodness, I can feel it. She reached down with the other arm and said, I can feel it. She said, praise God. Hey, what did the king tell her to do? Repent of her sins and he'd heal how many of her diseases? You know that little girl? Her name's Jan. And do you know today she's totally, completely healed of everything? See, she's not praying. She's not praying for lupus no more. She's rebuking the devil and thanking Jesus for His promises. But see, she had to fight this fight of faith. These people here, they didn't believe what God told them. Just like we don't today. We hadn't changed much. Listen to our statement. I wish I had lupus. We wish we had died in Egypt. That sound like the same kind of stupid things? Did we come here to die? No, we come here to live, didn't we? We didn't want to die. We wish we had died in Egypt. That's not true. They were trying to get out of Egypt. They were complaining about the taskmasters making them work too hard. How quick we forget. For even here in the wilderness, they wailed. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Do you think God's bringing you up here to die? No, He wants you to live. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. But the devil, the thief, he's the one that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So who do we listen to in the church today? Same people, same God these these people listen to, the devil. They listen to the God of this world instead of Jesus. Our wives and little ones will be carried off as slaves. You see anything wrong with their confession? (laughs) That's not exactly what we want, is it? Let's get out of here and return to Egypt. Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. 
Let's get rid of this other preacher. Let's get rid of Thurman. Let's find some guy that won't tell us that we're sinners. Let's find some guy that will tell us how good we are and how nice we are and that we can do anything we want to. Jesus loves us. He don't care if we go out and live in sin. He knows how our flesh is weak. He knows the flesh is weak. He don't care. Let's get us a preacher that makes us feel good. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'd rather really feel good and do it God's way than have a preacher that makes me feel good and then I get sick and die. Because if you do it that way, you're going to get sick and die. That's why we've got so many people in the church today that's sick and dying. It's because they don't believe what God said in His book. But obviously we haven't changed much, have we? Not much. Let's go on a little further. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the people of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb son of Nun, tore their clothing. They said to the community of Israel, The land we explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, hey, that's the secret. If the Lord is pleased with you, do you want to please the king? Ooh, you don't want to make him angry. That's for sure. Because things don't get too good when you don't please him. It's the land we explore. It's a wonderful land. And if, we, if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. And He will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. Are these demons we got today that are attacking us? It, once we repent of our sin and begin to drive them out, are they a helpless prey to us? Yeah, they got to go. Because Jesus triumphed over them completely in the cross 2,000 years ago. If He triumphed over them and He disarmed them completely and then turned to you and He said, I give you all power and all authority over Satan and his host of demons, then how much power does the devil have over you and me? None. He has none. But you'll have to take it away from the devil by force with it is written from God's Word. Because I can assure you, he's just like these people in this land, these giants. The devil and his demons, they're giants. And they're not going to lay down and take this easily. Just like these people. These people wasn't going to just lay down and let them have this land. When these Israelites walked in, these great big old giants... I've come to take your land, Keith. Oh, yeah? Well, it's going to be over my dead body. You say, okay, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Lord, get him. And the Lord, the Lord said, you got that sword on your hip? Pull it out. You pull it out, it's like running through. And the guy falls down. Whoa! I mean, just think. When God, you go back to King David, when David was a little whelp. I mean, you know, here's a teenage kid. He comes out here, and here is this 10-foot giant out there. And he's walking up every day saying, you know, you bunch of Israelis, you guys ain't worth nothing. We're going to kill you. We're going to wipe you out. David said, who is this uncircumcised fellow? Who is this making fun of our God? They said, well, look at him. Now, what are they doing? They're going by what they see. They're not going by who their God is. We fail to think about how big our God is. So David said, I can whip that giant. You know, I'll cut his head off. You hear anything right in his confession? Let me at that guy. The God I serve, I'll take my slingshot. 
I'll hit him right between the eyes. And then after I knock him down, I'll go over and take his own sword and I'll cut his head off and I'll feed him to the birds. You hear anything scary or afraid in David's little voice? No. What, was it? what did he look at? Here's this, this ruddy little kid about this big. And here's a guy ten foot tall. Ten foot tall? How would you like to say, I'm going to get you and I'm this big? You know, what would you think? You said, woo! You know, and the sword and the shield. It, I mean, all this stuff, it told how much it weighed and everything. Give me a break. It takes a lot of faith, doesn't it, to overcome those kind of giants. But David said, I can take him because I serve the living God. He's on our side. And, of course, everybody's afraid. Saul, he's a great big old boy, Seth, you know, he's afraid the king. But David goes out and takes that little slingshot. He goes down to the little creek down and gets him five smooth stones. You know, there's five of them giants over there. So he don't know what they're going to do. So he's going to have one for every one. But he gets one. And he walks out there and that big old giant comes and says, Who are you, you puny little kid? David said, I am a servant of the Most High God. And I'm going to kill you and cut your head off and feed it to the birds. And Goliath wasn't even intimidated, you know. He just standing up and saying, yeah, sure you are, you puny little kid. See, that's the same battle we're fighting today against sickness, disease, and everything else. They're giants. But David, with that little stone, he's beginning to sling that thing over his head. And when he turned that thing loose... The Holy Spirit guided that rock to one place right between his eyes that wasn't protected with a steel shield. And it knocked him out. Hit him right between the eyes. The only place he didn't have steel on him. And it knocked him out temporarily. David goes running over there and he reaches out and gets that sword and he begins to whack that big old sword and he cuts that guy's head off. What did the rest of them boys do? After they saw David kill this little one, when the rest of them began to run away, then now they're big boys now. Yeah, now then, if David can do that, we can do this. But man, they pursued the rest of them giants and they killed all of them. Now see, that's exactly what you and me got to do today as children of God. Those same giants are out there, spiritual beings, sickness, disease, and everything else. But since our God has bore our sickness and removed our disease, you stand on His Word, you repent of your sins, and whatever you need, you don't never give up. You rejoice in everything you do, giving Him the glory and the praise. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. You know, if you praise Him and worship Him, there's no limit to what He will give you. He wanted to give these people the land of promise. Can you imagine going in there and say, Hey, Lord, I didn't even plant this vineyard. And look at that cluster of grapes hanging there on that vine. The thing is, this tall. I can't even imagine that. I've seen some big grapes in my life, but I ain't never seen grapes big as plums. You know, when you take grapes that are this big, and you've got a stick, Ty's got one end over his shoulder, and i got one on mine, and the grapes hanging, and they're nearly touching the ground. One cluster of grapes. Is that a land full of milk and honey? <clears throat> but God didn't bring them to a land that wasn't. He brought them to a land flowing of milk and honey. What does God want to give us? Life and life abundant. So you've got to start thinking like that. You know, just like somebody told me earlier today, you know, somebody they knew 
had given tithe, but they always said, you know, my tithe don't work. God's never blessed me. You know why their tithe never worked? Their tongue was their problem. That's what they were saying all the time. Instead of giving, say, Lord, we give into Your kingdom. So, Lord, You said in Your Word, given it shall be given to You. Press down, shaking the other, running over, shall man give into Your bosom, because with the same measure You used to give, it shall be given back to You. So, see? Fred's sitting right there. Just told you a testimony about tithing. But Fred's faith today is a lot greater than it was when I met him. Because when I first met him, he said, Now, Thurman, as you start this church and people are going to be coming here, you can't give away all your teachings. You're going to have to sell them. <laughs> See, that's a businessman, right? Sure, it's a businessman. He's a good businessman. And he knows how things work in the business world. But see, he didn't really understand. And of course, at that time, I also said, Well, Fred, when's the last time you saw God do a miracle? He said, a miracle? What? I said, you don't see God do miracles regularly? No. Do you? I said, oh, yeah, sure. He thought, wow. And so now then he sees them regularly. All the time. But he changed some things. But I told him, I said, no, Fred, God said give and it should be given to you. Press down, shaking together, running over, should man give into your bosom. For with the same measure you use to give, it will be given to you. So I said, I'm going to give away everything I do. And of course, back in those days, you know, a hundred a week wasn't too bad, you know, to give away a hundred tapes in one week. But when you get up to where you're paying the postage and mailing them out and you're doing 10,000 a week, that's a little bit bigger deal. 10,000 a week. How would you like to buy 10,000 CDs and DVDs a week? Just the blank ones. Hey, isn't it amazing what God can do? That's why I give them away. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. And guess how many times in all the years we've been there, guess how many times anybody had to wait till next week to get their paycheck at the Living Savior Ministries? Never. The money's always in the bank. I ain't never borrowed a dime to run this ministry. I will have to say, when I first started it, I took out about $50,000 out of my own personal account to get started. After I took 50000 out and bought equipment and things and got started, I will have to say, back in those days, the wife I had then, Betty, she questioned me. Honey, are you sure? You're taking a lot of money out of our life savings to live on in later years. Are you sure that you're hearing from God? I mean, you don't you know you have taken 50000 out of our account and put it in equipment stuff and you're doing things and giving it away? I said, I believe with all my heart I've heard from God. And so I'm going to keep doing it. She said, how long are you going to go? I said, as long as it takes. After all, doesn't it all belong to God? I mean, it all belongs to Him, right, Keith? I don't own a thing. The king owns everything. And so, lo and behold, after the king sees you're really serious, you know, when you're willing to take some of your own money and give it to him and start doing this kind of stuff, one day he says, oh, he really believes me. Now that he, he wants to go into the land and possess it, so I'm going to go in with him. And he's going to inherit a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that's full of blessings. A land that has no sickness and no disease. Because I bore his sickness, removed his disease. And so he's going to stand on my word. Yeah, there's going to be encounters with the enemies he goes through. There's going to be battles. And there's going to be times he's going to get wounded. But he ain't going to get killed. I'm going to make sure he comes through because he's walking in total faith with me. Now, let's see what happens here. Let's go on. 
It says, it is a land flow of milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Now, see, they're being told what they can do. Then it says, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. That's sad, isn't it? They're not just going to persecute them boys a little bit. In fact, Cheryl and I watched some video the other night. We don't do this very often, but about 12 o'clock we thought, well, we'll take a little break before we go to bed and we'll pop us a big bowl of popcorn and we'll watch a video. So we get a video and go in our little room and we probably had the TV in the last six months on three times, maybe. And we went in and turned, put, plugged this video and it says, the title of the video was The Forbidden Book. The Forbidden Book. And we watched how men like Tyndale, Martin Luther, men of the 14th and 15th century, that was going to translate this book into English so the common people could read it. And you know what they did to those people? They burned them at the stake. They put them in jail. They made them do without. They killed them. They stoned them. They burned them. And what was their sin? Translating the forbidden book into an English language that the average man could read. I mean, don't them men know that they were breaking the law? They were doing something absolutely ghastly? Writing the Bible in English so you and me could read it. It cost them their life. Now, how many of you, just like some of those men, they would say, if you will promise me you will never translate another word of the Bible into English, we'll let you go. No. No. I've been called of God to translate His Word into a language so simple that the average working man can read and understand God's Word. Killing, burning at the stake. And over and over and over. We saw pictures where men, that's their only crime. They were tied. And one guy was tied around with his body. and Maybe it was Tyndall. I don't remember which one it was. And they put a rope and a cord around his neck and strangled him to death as he was burning. Have you suffered any consequences like that for the Word? So next time some little bitty... Somebody comes up and says, you know, I don't want you talking about Jesus in school. Don't cow down back on and say, I'm sorry. Jump up and say, well, I got news for you. I'm an American citizen. I'm going to talk about the Word of God anywhere I want to and ain't nobody can stop me. I was going to bring an article that I read off the Internet this week. I'm going to try to think about it next week, but I'm going to quote a little of it today. I was awestruck at what the Australian government did to the Muslims that are moving into their country. We want our own churches and our own mosques. The Australian government said, this is Australia. We speak English over here. You're welcome to come to our country as long as you serve our God and do it our way. If you're not, go back to the country you come from. Hit the road. That's exactly right. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. But I mean, there was two pages where that guy in the legislature was telling the Muslims 
and any other group of people, if you come over here and you want to worship Buddha, go back to Japan where you can freely worship Him. We don't worship Buddha in Australia. He said, if you want to worship the Muslims and build your mosque, go back to Saudi Arabia or wherever. Well, we don't do that in, in Australia. If you don't like what we do here, this is our country. We've built it like we want it. And if you don't want to become an Australian and worship our God, get out of our country. We don't want you. I thought, you know, that's what we need to do in America. You want to come to America? I looked at the other day when that group of Spanish people from Mexico, down there in California, they were putting the Mexican flag on top and the American flag on the bottom. And they were raising the Mexican flag. Hey, I went to um, I went to war and fought for this country so them guys could do that. If you guys want to raise your Mexican flag, get back in Mexico. That's the way I believe. You know, if you want to be a Muslim, go back to Iran. But in America, we're Christians, and that's what I'm going to stand on. You know, so somebody tells me here, you can't talk about Jesus. Hey, there ain't no man can shut me up. I mean, I think about those men we watched the other night. They died, burned at the stake. You ain't suffered nothing like that, have you? No. I mean, somebody just says something to us and we're offended. Well, we need to get to the point where somebody says something. You need to talk to them about Jesus. Don't you know you can't talk about Jesus here? That depends on who you serve. My God, He's Jesus. I can talk about Him anytime I want to and I'm going to talk about Him. Ain't nobody stopped me talking about Jesus. And until we get to that point in our life where you're not afraid of man, but you're afraid of God, that's when you'll do what the king says. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, this, America, this country, I fought for this country. I went to war and put my life on the line for this country. Some of you in here today did the same thing. And we got boys today doing the same thing that I did. Those boys are fighting for this country. Well, we've got to have something to fight for. What are we fighting for anymore? Yeah, that's right. I don't think we know what we're fighting for. We're not fighting for a country of freedom to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Like somebody said, we're fighting for oil. Well, let me tell you, if we'd fight for God, we wouldn't need oil. He'd provide all the oil right here that we need. He would take care of us beyond your wildest dreams. I think about that guy I know up in Oklahoma. God told him. This guy was a great Christian man. He had a whole lot of acreage up there. And God told him one day, said, I want you to go out here and have him drill you an oil well right here. You're going to hit a gusher. He had a lot of money. He was a very wealthy man. So he went to an oil company. He said, I want you all to come up here and I want you to drill me a well. It's going to be my well. You know, all I, want, I want to pay you all to drill it. He said, there ain't no oil out here. We've done all the size of grassy tests and everything. There ain't no oil out here. So I said, it cost $2 million to drill the well. The thousands of feet you want to go. He said, that's okay. I'll pay for it. But the well's going to be mine. Ain't going to be no royalties off of this. This is my land. We're going to drill an oil well right here, and this is going to be my oil well. So they went out there and they drilled. And they drilled. And, of course, he paid them every week or whatever. He paid them the money. And he's up to a couple million dollars. And he's got the money. And they said, sir, you're a fool. There is no oil out here. You see these tests we're pulling up? He said, God told me to build an oil well right here, and it would be a gusher. He said, keep drilling. I'm paying the bill. And they kept drilling. And they kept drilling. And one day, kabooey, it blowed in. And it was some kind of a gusher. And it produced tens of thousands of barrels of oil. And as far as I know, it may still be flowing oil. But this guy made millions off of this thing. Millions! If God speaks to you and tells you to do something, and you got millions, and God says, go out there and drill an oil well, 
He said, now wait a minute, God, let's think about this. They say there ain't no oil out here. Who are you going to believe? Besides this, Lord, they tell me it's going to cost $2 million of my money. I only got $3 million in the bank. Now, Lord, if I spend $2 million, that means I ain't got but a million left. Lord, that's peanuts. I can't live on a million. Yeah, that's the way people think. Sure. But if God tells you to do something, you say, hey, it don't make no difference. It takes all three million. If God told me to drill that well, we're going to drill that well. So see, that goes back to the Word. If God told these people to go in and possess the land, He'll go with them. If they'd done what He said, what would He have done? He would have went. But let's see what happens here. So the whole community complained. How long? It says, Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites from above the tabernacle. Ooh, would I love to see those kind of things happen today. The glory of God. I can only imagine. Appeared to all the Israelites. How many of them got seen? All of us. All of them got to see. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? Are we rejecting Him today? Sure we are. We don't stand on these promises. Will they never believe me? Is that kind of like us today? Sure. I mean, we have so many promises under the New Covenant. I mean, we have nothing to fear with the promises under our New Covenant as children of the Most High God. He has provided everything beyond our wildest dreams. He says, even after all the miraculous signs have done among them, I will disown them and destroy them. Whoa, I was offered God to talk to you like that. Ooh, I don't want to hear that, do you? I, God, will disown them, and I, God, will destroy them with a plague, a sickness. Then I will make you into a nation far greater and mightier than they are. Now, thank God for intercessors. You know that? Because you know what, you know what Moses could have done? Oh, he could have stood up and said, okay, God, just wipe them out and make me a great nation. There's some people that would do that, you know it? Oh, God. You want to wipe all this bunch of heathen bunch out here that don't believe? Okay, God, you want to make a great nation out of me? Come on, God, I'm ready. Let's do something. Well, see, God knew that Moses was a humble man. He knew he would never do that. But when all the, but what will the Egyptians think, Lord? Immediately he's going to intercede. When they hear about it, Moses pleaded with the Lord. You think God will hear your prayers? Sure He will. Moses is pleading with God. They know full well the power you displayed as you brought these people from Egypt. They will tell this to the inhabitants of this land who are well aware that you are with this people. They know, Lord, that you have appeared in full view of your people in the pillow of cloud and the hover over them, and they know that you go before them in the pillow of cloud by day and the pillow of fire by night. Now, if you slaughter all these people, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land. He swore to give them. So he killed them in the wilderness. God, Moses knew how to deal even with God, didn't he? You know, I'm just enough engineer it's just like when they took me to Cairo, Egypt, and handed me off a quarter million square foot building that was just fractions they finished. And this woman that was in charge, she said, 
the Bill Martin Executive Vice President of Engineering. After a walk around four days in that place, she got him off the side and said, Bill, this guy's not aggressive enough. He won't be able to build this building for us. I'm stunned at what I see. I'm looking at this nasty project that they want me to complete and the stages is in. And Bill just told her, said, you give him anything he asks for and I guarantee he will build the building. So Bill comes home and she don't think you can do it. <laughs> Wrong thing to say to an engineer, right? You don't think I can build this building? I have the Most High God on my side. I know Jesus. And I prayed and I walked through that place and in 90 days, in 90 days, I put a project together that blowed their socks off. They couldn't believe what I'd done in that place. In 90 days, I opened the building in 90 days. They were all struck. And then, as I'm getting ready to go home, this woman that said, I don't believe he can get this job done. They'd only been working on this be seven years, and I put it together in 90 days. She come out to the airplane begging me on that TWA airplane as I was getting ready to come back to America. She, and this was a long time ago. Sir, if you'll just stay over here, if you'll just stay over here, we will give you $50,000 tax-free to just stay here and operate this place for us. Well, 50000 don't seem like much today. But let me tell you, 50000 35 years ago was a lot of money. A lot of money. I told her, no. I've done what I was supposed to do. I come over and built your building for you. Now I'm going home. But let me tell you, I made Jesus real to a lot of people. Every time they won't know how I did anything. I mean, I built and designed cooling rooms and proving rooms and, and stuff that they didn't even know was possible. She stood in awe when she saw what I did over there. How do you do these things? I said, it's simple. I have the Spirit of the living God living in me, and all of the mysteries and the secrets of the universe are hidden in Him, and He's in me. So i got all the mysteries and the secrets of the universe hidden in me. All i got to do is ask Jesus, ask the Father in the name of Jesus, and He reveals to me how to do all these things. I serve a God that's alive. Well, and I proved it to them. I proved to them God is real. They were awestruck. But it, it was foolishness to them. Just like Paul said, they can't discern this stuff. They wonder what's the, you know, this, this guy, this engineer come over here from America. Man, he was really something. He put this project together. Well, how in the world did he do it? Nobody else could do it. They worked on it for seven years. Well, he says he served some crazy God by the name of Jesus. Crazy God by the name of Jesus? Did anybody else say they served this crazy God, Jesus? No. Well, the building didn't get built, did it? But there was one that said he served this God and his name is Jesus, and he did it. Hey, maybe there is something to this Jesus stuff. Reckon there might be, Fred? Yes, there is. We better believe there is. Now then, if you believe that you can do what Jesus sent you to do as a son or a daughter of God, you just don't have to worry about staying healthy and well. What did Jesus say you in the course of your walk with Him could ask Him for in the course of the day? What did He, what did he give you limitations for as His children? You can ask me for what? Anything? Does that pretty well cover everything you do in a day? So, he didn't cut you short. 
And if he says you can ask for anything, it makes no difference what walk of life you're doing. If you're an engineer, or you're a housewife, or you're a secretary, or you're a doctor, or you're a lawyer, or you're a plumber, or you're a mechanic, or anything else you do, don't you think God knows your line of work better than you do? Absolutely. Absolutely knows everything. So if you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, if you ask Him, if you're obedient to serving and you ask Him, He will give you information through your spirit what to do so you can absolutely amaze people. So yesterday, I did, I don't, I, you know, sometimes I've had the privilege of walking so many places in my life that are so blessed. Like I, you know, used to be an airline pilot. You know, I used to teach uh, uh, Spartan School of Aeronautics. I taught mechanics for a couple of years. You know, I taught avionics for American for a year. I taught all the systems on the Lockheed Electra and the DC-8 for Braniff for a couple of years. I've done a lot of things. You know, I've been to some good schools and learned some things. And so I've, I've had a very varied, loving, wonderful background. So yesterday I was out at the airport and some of these old geezers, they called themselves the Geezers Club, you know, and they even got this name on the, the Geezer Boulevard. You know, they've even named their hallway down there, you know, 505 or 500 Geezer Boulevard, so on and so forth. I'm talking to these guys, and one of them says something, and John, the guy I rented one of the hangar from, John said, oh, I see you went and got your Mooney. I said, yeah, I brought it in. And one of the guys said, you have a Mooney? I said, yeah. I said, it's a beautiful thing. He said, where do you keep? He said, my good friend, he's Larry, he's got a Mooney too, and I'll have to introduce you to him. I said, great. So we talked a few minutes, and then John said something about my 150 on the other side. And he said, they said, there's about four of them standing. He said, you got a 152? I said, yeah. He said, you got two airplanes? I said, no. He said, how many you got? I said, four. Four airplanes? I said, yeah, I love airplanes. He said, well, what are the other two? I said, well, the other one, one of them's a Seneca. He said, what's that? I said, that's a kind of a small twin. You know, it's about a 200-mile-an-hour airplane. Carries six people. He said, you got a twin? What's the other one? I said, well, it's a little bigger than that. It's a pressurized Cessna 421. And I said, you know, he said, you fly all those? I said, oh, yeah, I love it. And I said, you know, I really love it since they got the new GPSs out. I said, those are really something. And we started talking about GPSs, and this guy backed off. He's 80 years old. He backed off, and he bowed like this. I said, what's wrong? What are you doing? He said, you're royalty. He said, you live in a place where we don't even dream about. He said, we got to have you speak to our club. You would bring some real character to our club. And I backed off, and I thought, okay, God, I can see the handwriting on the wall. You have trained me in the aviation field that's beyond most men's wildest imaginations. And I'm going to get to go over and tell these guys how I got all this. You give it to me. I'm going to get to give you more glory and praise because everything I have, you've given it to me in life. What did God say He come to give you? Life and life abundantly. Isn't that amazing? So if God provides... One of the men asked me, said, well, how much payments do you have on airplanes? I said, none. They're all paid for. I said, I don't buy nothing until I can pay cash for it. I don't have, I don't owe a nickel on nothing. Everything I have paid for. You know, I don't buy something on credit. You know, if I don't have the money, I don't buy it. But you know what? 
when we, when we get ready to go to California here in a few weeks, we're going to go out there and get that beautiful 421. Six of us going to get in that big baby. We're going to fly to California. And what do we use these airplanes for? For the glory of God. To go places and do things for the glory of God. Somebody might think, yeah, you got a fleet. But that's okay. God promised me abundant life. Abundant life. And as long as He pays the bill, you know, I think about how easy it is. You know, somebody says, we understand you need another airplane. Yeah, how much is it going to cost? This much. Next day, you get an express check to pay for it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God told Moses, He said, Moses, I'm going to feed all these people meat tomorrow. And God, Moses looked and he said, God, if you killed every fish in the sea, you couldn't feed this multitude fish meat tomorrow. And God says, Moses, do you think my arm's getting short? And so the next day, he said, they'll have meat. And the next day, millions of quail come flying in slowly and three feet off the ground and landed and walked around. and They just walked over and got them. But because they're grumbling and complaining, you know what happened to a bunch of them? They died with a plague while the meat was still in their teeth because of their grumbling and complaining. Hey, there's a message in all of this, right? How much grumbling and complaining should we do as Christians? Ooh, well, you can if you want to, but, you know. If you die before next Sunday, I might know what happened to you. You might be grumbling and complaining. After all, he's God. I'm not. So he said, but he says, if you'll do what I say, I bore your sickness and removed your disease. Did he not? Then he said, under the new covenant, think about this awesome promise in John 14, 13 and 14. This promise will get anybody healed that'll believe it. Think about it. this is written to the children of God. If you ask the Father in my name, what? Anything. Anything I will do for you. So therefore, ask the Father in my name anything you want to, and it's yours. Now, with that kind of promise, what can we ask for? If there's anybody here that needs to be healed today, if you believe, if you repent of all your sins and we stand on one of those promises, just like Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, and again I tell you, and again I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. What can one man and one woman get from God if they're walking in obedience to His Word? Anything you want. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. You know, that God made us these promises. But what if you pray and it don't happen right then? But you may pray it and it may happen right then too. But if it don't happen right then, it started happening right then. This is what you've got to get the idea. It, that's where I walked for the first Ten years of my healing ministry that God gave me, I didn't see any miracles. I didn't know He did miracles. I guess that's why He didn't do none for me. Because I didn't know He did. I didn't know He could. But I found out He could heal. And so I'd pray for people and believe it was done. And so they said, well, how, how long is it going to take? I said, oh, I don't know, a day, a week, a month. But if you stay in faith with me, I guarantee He'll heal you. So sometimes a day, a week, a month. And they got healed. Just exactly like I said. you know. And then one day I started learning, hey, Lord, let's ask you to do it right now. In the name of Jesus, like I did for Dr. Gary Young that time. You know, there I took Mark eleven twenty three, prayed a prayer of faith for a doctor in Salt Lake City over the telephone with a back crushed. And God, I told him, I said, now, sir, I guarantee my Jesus will do a supernatural healing on your back. Because he told me in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, he'll do it. And I said, thank you, Lord, for doing a supernatural healing on Dr. Gary Young. Mark eleven twenty three. 
Now, there's not a handful of people in the church who believe that promise. Isn't that a shame? Mark eleven twenty three. Mark eleven twenty three. What does it say, man? What does it say? Mark eleven twenty three. What? What does it say? Mark eleven twenty three. Okay. Shall have is that good news? Is that good news? See, that's what that's the very verse I used that night, and I guaranteed him that my king, Jesus, would do a supernatural healing on him, and he had fell out of a tree on Tuesday, this was on Sunday, and he had fell thirty five feet and crushed his back, and the king of the universe done an immediate instantaneous miracle on Dr. Gary Young in Salt Lake City, Utah, and instantly healed her crushed back, and he's up running up down the stairs in two minutes. And Eldon knows him personally. And he's been there and talked to him several times since. But of course, Cheryl and I went out there the next day. And we got to see him also. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, anybody that will believe you, Lord, we go back to the old covenant we saw where they didn't believe you, and we saw what happened. Two men believed you, Lord, but those two men still had to suffer the consequences of the next 40 years. But at least they came through it and got to go into the land. But they were the only two of that multitude that was over 20 that made it. Lord, help us today not to be like that. Help us, Father, open our eyes and our hearts and our understanding to the mighty things of the living God. That if you made us these promises in the New Cup, we can believe and stand with no doubt in our heart, knowing that you made us a promise and you're God and you can't lie, and you will do exactly what you promised. If we repent of our sins, you'll forgive all of our sins, and then you promise to heal all of our diseases. So, Lord, we thank you that you're the King and that you come to give us life and life abundantly, and sickness and disease do not fit in with life abundant. So, Father, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for doing miracles today. But Lord, the miracles you'll do today, we're grateful for them. But Lord, we know you're, all of us are going to be healed. It may take a little bit more time, but we know that you promised to heal all of our diseases of your children. Once we repent, stand on your word. You cannot lie. It's a done deal. So we stand. However long it takes, it's a done deal. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for blessing us. I thank you for the mighty word of the living God. As we go this week, Lord, bless us, use us mightily for your kingdom, to do great and wonderful things for the kingdom of God. And Lord, bring us back here Tuesday night for Bible study, or next Sunday for worship service and more teaching about your word. And Lord, between now and then, use us for your glory, to bring glory and honor to your precious name. And we thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.